0: One morning earlier this year, um, as I was walking back down my lane, this is the image that uh, I walked towards. Uh, we we live in West Hemfield, but when I when I look uh, out toward the east um, and a bit toward the north, I can I can see all the way out to Mannheim. Uh, and some mornings it's just glorious. But I was walking back, had gotten a newspaper, was walking back the lane, and. The reality in that context was that I was just impressed afresh with the truth that God's mercies are new every morning. And there is this tandem peace, dotty of mercy and grace that we could talk more about as well. But just that sense of the Lord's mercies new every morning. I I'm was just impressed with that at a, at a new level and God began to stir something in my heart. Uh, really a message that I've now shared at most of the district congregations already around this thing of abundant grace. The recognition that God's goodness is available every day, every day, always there to be accessed. The question is, will I embrace it? Will I enter in and receive that abundant grace? Or am I not necessarily aware of that abundant grace, of his goodness, his capacity to provide for all that I need every day? This last season for me has been, and I won't go into detail, just kind of an intense time of a variety of different things, good things. I enjoy the things that I do, but sometimes we get overwhelmed by the number of good things that we're doing or the number of things that are happening. Uh, and in that in that context, for me, I continually heard heard the word uh, or the words of the Apostle Paul from from Second Corinthians twelve nine, where the Lord was saying to him, "My grace is sufficient for you." My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is what? Made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And I began to think of that context of understanding do I grasp the greatness of his grace and do I apply that grace in my life, in the context of everyday life, where I live, work, and play, with my family, with my neighbors? with my church family when I get together. Do I extend grace or do I live in a place where I am at times confronting or battling or working at things? Have I received the fullness of grace so that I can extend grace to other people? Can I be like the policeman, (laughs) extending grace to people even way, you know what, you should have got a ticket, Dottie. You should have gotten a ticket. Just just so you know, you already knew that, sorry. I didn't want to make you feel bad, but... uh, (laughs) That recognition that that is a part of the reality in our lives. And you know what? A lot of times when we're interacting with people in our family, in our church family, in the place we work, in our neighborhoods, you know what? They deserve a ticket. Do you agree with me? You just want to give them a ticket. Remember, in the midst of that, that you deserved a whole lot of tickets. From the Father of lights, from the one who loved you. And again and again, as you receive it, and as you, as you acknowledge, I was wrong. And I liked what you added. I even, you know, in that context, I, I asked God for forgiveness. I, I disobeyed the law. God forgiveness forgives us, and he doesn't give us a ticket that we deserve. If he can do it to you, who gives you the right not to do that to the people? Especially if you say you're a follower of Jesus. And so in that context, it calls us to this place, and I saw this over here, grow in grace today, 2 Peter 3.18. We have to grow in grace as a body of Christ. And I'm going to apply this to East Pete Mennonite Church. East Pete Mennonite Church, I don't know all your foibles, all the stuff that's here, the challenges are here, but I'm just going to say it because it's true everywhere. You need to grow in grace as a body. With your families, with your neighbors, in the places you work, and especially among the body of believers here. Growing in grace, that abundant grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in that place of your weakness. God's abundant grace, His provision is what I need to walk through whatever circumstances I face every moment of every day. The abundant grace that is there Draws us to Him, and God's goodness and His greatness flows into our lives. I think of the Apostle Paul's uh, life, life and His example and His declaration from from Second Timothy uh, verses. Verse, uh, we're going to look at verses twelve through seventeen, but I'll just specifically this verse here. Paul, who was one who demonstrated both that incredible receiving of grace, this is a man who persecuted and killed Christians. He needed grace. From God. And he says here, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Abundantly. And the grace of God has been poured out on our lives abundantly. Along with the faith and love that are, that are in, in Christ Jesus. Paul, an amazing man of God, who had a Damascus Road experience where he encountered that presence and power of God's grace, it changed him from the inside out. He was Saul in the Spirit and he became Paul in the Spirit, a man transformed by the Spirit of God. And that's really at the core of this message is that when we talk about grace, grace is not something we grab, apply, and do. It's something we receive and allow God to work in us like leaven in the dough when we're working at the context of making bread. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we receive it or not, God's grace is available to us, showered upon us as a supernatural impartation. The question is, will we receive it? I often use this image from Harold Eberly's book called Abundant, uh, his book called Grace, the Power to Reign, and that image of cleansing of freedom of jo- and joy. And, and often for me, in the, in the context of taking a shower, Maybe because this picture has impacted me, I'm often there saying, Lord, wash me, cleanse me, purify me, flow over me with your grace, because without that, I am nothing. I become a Pharisee trying to do the right things and push that on other people when I don't have your grace flowing through my life. It's just, it's where I go. Like, I got to figure it out. <laughs> I'm following Jesus and I'm going to put that on other people because they're going to have to follow him the way I do. It's not grace. That's legalism and law, and it's what the Pharisees lived under. God pours his abundant grace into our lives every day for every situation that we face, and it's for our transformation to change us from the inside out, to change the way we think, the way we perceive, the way we interact with other people. And it's not that I say, I'm going to decide to live differently. Though that is part of it. We make a decision say, I want to live differently. But the only way for that to be applied is for His grace to be poured in my life so that what I'm functioning out of is the shower of His grace flowing through me, not my effort to say, I'm going to love more. I'm going to be more loving. That's Just the way I said that it doesn't even sound like I'm even close. Because, but for those of you who are married and it doesn't just happen in the context of marriage, but those long-enduring relationships and friendships and contexts, you can say love is a choice, and it sure is, but love is really something that is received from something beyond ourselves that is added on to that that allows us to love in the midst of those difficult circumstances, and we all have walked through this. That grace is the transformation of our heart, of our thoughts, of our attitudes, and to That transformation forming in us the very nature and character of Jesus. Not that we say, there is Jesus, and here's all the things he did. I'm going to try to mimic what he did. It's not what I'm talking about. There is Jesus. He's invited me to receive this abundant grace and to live in that place. And as he changes me, I'm going to walk like Jesus because he did the work in me learning to live in love like Jesus Jeff is truly a learning but it really big part of the learning is to surrender and say i can't do this without you and i'm not preaching at you that you don't believe that i'm just agreeing to that statement because i think it's so powerful in the shower each morning or whatever that place is lord pour out your grace in my life today shower me with your abundant grace for the tasks i have before me wash away my own efforts and striving and teach me to rely totally On you. In every circumstance that I that I that I that I I face today. This topic of of abundant grace reminds me of the work that we did at Mountville when I was pastoring there, and uh, centered centered around uh, one of them was around this whole thing of experiencing grace. Simply says since Jesus gave us his his life even while since Jesus gave up his life even while we were we we were rejecting him we want everyone to experience God's grace love and forgiveness. God keeps chasing after us, wanting to bless us. We can't do anything to earn these blessings. We just need to open ourselves to receive them. Once we accept that grace and love, we can begin to offer it to others, even those who have hurt us deeply. And when we stop judging other people, we become free to love them, doing whatever it takes to help them become free as well. We want to receive that grace for ourselves and also extend it to others so that we can be patient, open, and real in our relationships simply a posture of grace receiving and giving grace so you might ask the question mr bishop keith how does this really work and i the more i walk with jesus the more i say it's a mystery cuz i can understand concepts it still requires the applying and surrendering to god's plan purpose and timing of how that plays itself out how does our selfish Human nature get transformed so that what is expressed is God's gracious love to all people. And here's the interesting thing. His gracious love is extended to all people, including those who are different from us, who speak another language, or who are so wounded by the enemy's destructive attacks on their lives, they don't seem to connect with our world at all. And yet, in that context, we look at Jesus, and you look at Jesus' example— and he expressed that heart of love for God, he regularly hung out with those who were at the margins, who were desperate for a better life, who needed a kind smile, who were so hungry for a gracious word of comfort that they were ready to respond to his loving words of invitation to a new and abundant life. That's where he hung out. He hung out in places that people said, what are you doing here hanging out with sinners? And his response simply was, it's the sick, it's the sinner, it's the person in, in need who, who, who needs this message. And I'm going to share it with them. It's interesting that uh, Jesus' harshest words were for the religious community who had right and wrong all figured out and judged others by their standard. But what did Jesus really teach and model? And again, I invite us in this context into a passage of Scripture, and we're not going to turn here right away, and actually I'm going to be reading this from the English Standard Version, and I want to, in, as best as possible, to encourage you to listen with your ears and with your heart to that message. But when we think about Jesus' teachings and modeling, we are often drawn to the Sermon on the Mount. And as Anabaptists and Mennonites, we've highlighted these lo- these, this long message by Jesus uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the key passage for us to focus on as disciples of Jesus. You know, let's study the Beatitudes. Let's study the Sermon on the Mount and let's apply this in our lives. I'd like us to hear this first part of the passage, just the first 12 verses, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. I invite you to just listen to this passage as a way of engaging with this context and in particular Jesus' teaching. Seeing the crowds... Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that's just kind of the beginning of entry into this, you know. This uh, I won't even call it a mini-sermon, this long Sermon on the Mount. In that context and in that setting there's this there's these a variety of things that we could jump off and begin to begin to to focus on but before I jump on one of those verses for today as a part of the the backdrop for my message I want to share a bit about my own journey and some of the things that I've been uh, I've been aware of in the context of of this passage one of the things that that As I studied this, I became increasingly aware of, or clear to me, at least at a personal level, was that my underlying thoughts about this passage were that which I had been taught or had been modeled to me or how I understood it, was that the Sermon on the Mount was a list of to-dos for us as followers of Jesus. You should love your enemies. You should not be anxious. You shouldn't judge others. But with Dallas Willard and others, I'm more and more convinced that this sermon preached by Jesus on that small hill is descriptive of the character and nature of those who have been or are being transformed by the abundant grace of God. That grace that is poured into our lives, it changes us from the inside out. It is not prescriptive about what we should be doing as Christians as much as it is descriptive about what a follower of Jesus looks like. What kind of fruit is there? And when it's not there, we ask one another the question, why isn't this fruit present in the way that we're interacting right now? Not because I'm better than you, but because I'm asking the question in accountability, how then do we download more of that nature and character of Jesus that is the essence of what it means when we talk about abundant grace? His life flows into us. And we begin to function like little Jesus'. We don't become Jesus, but we function like little Jesus because we express his nature and character in the way we interact. Now we could discuss that one for a long time because there's truth on both sides of that. What's here is indeed the things that we should strive for. But what I've watched and I remember my encounter probably at the greatest level, and I had a lot of good teaching. I grew up in the mission field. My dad was a pastor. I had Glenn Sell as a Bible teacher, so I really had to be at a good place. Right, Glenn? Amen. But in that context, the reality in that setting and context for me was that when I, when I went into YWAM with the YES program and began to be teaching about the power of the Spirit to transform our lives, for the first time I realized, you know what? The context here is that I've been trying to do all these things in my own strength because that's what I knew people expected me to do, but it wasn't really coming from a transformed heart or from a reliance on the Holy Spirit to do that work in me. And some of that was just a young person growing up and realizing something, and some of it was a revelation of the Holy Spirit. That, wow, this goes a whole lot deeper than the way that I was walking this. Verse 5 in that particular passage uh, was the verse that really caught my attention. It simply says in the English Standard Version, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it was that verse, in particular that word meek, that caught my attention. I've been pondering that word now obviously for more than eight months because I started this journey back in in the winter, and I continue to ponder it, looking at that, and it also was what drew me back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That Greek word is praus, which translated means gentle, uh, gentleness of spirit or meekness. The description of the word says meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, we allow God to work at changing us from the inside out. That's what meekness is. A lot of the more, translate, the more modern translations don't use the word meek. Maybe it's because we misunderstood meekness as weakness, which it's not, or because it's not used very much. Uh, recently, Rick Warren, in the context of uh, responding to this question, said it this way. He said, isn't, isn't a Christian supposed to be meek? Yes, you're supposed to be meek, but meekness is not weakness. There's a big difference. Meekness literally means strength under control. Picture a wild stallion. That has been broken and is now tamed. That stallion still has as much power as when he was wild, but now that power is bottled up for the master's use. You see, I want a generation of meek leaders, of meek followers of Jesus, not weak, but meek because all that they have, the gifts that are there, that are resident within their lives, are harnessed under the control of the Holy Spirit to be used for the purpose of kingdom building. I long for a church full of people with that meekness flowing through them. And I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying more, Lord. More of your meekness, your character flowing through us. So in the same way as followers of Jesus are surrendered, his abundant grace allows us to be transformed into a vessel of honor ready to be used by the Master. But bridled by the hand of the Lord so that our strengths, our inner abilities, and our passions are all under his care and control. That is my longing as a follower of Jesus and my desire for the body of, body of Christ uh, here in this county. As I think about God's abundant grace and his truth about being transformed to the character and nature of Jesus, I'd like to use this simple de- definition of meekness as the foundation. Strength under control. And meekness is one of the two words that the Lord impressed on me these last number of months, I believe it's a crucial component for us receiving God's abundant grace. Because at its core, it says, I can't be the person you're calling me to be, God, apart from surrendering all that I am to you and allowing you to transform me from the inside out. May this abundant grace flow in our lives. May it be formed in us as followers of Jesus as we continue to surrender to his abundant grace. May that grace flow through us so that we might be vessels of that same grace to everyone who crosses our paths. May we be transformed by God's amazing grace that our natural reactions and responses to others who are different than us would be harnessed and under God's control so that the only thing that others experience through us is the goodness and love of God. May they not experience our religious agenda or our personal emotions, or our opinions. But may they experience the love of God, full of grace and truth. May we be guarded from striving to try to convince them, whoever them is, of our perspective, attempting to use our wisdom to convince them that what we believe is right, the right way to think, the right way to interact. At the core of our being, may our personality and our strength always be harnessed and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Brings me to the second word that's a part of this message, and that word is humility. Uh, Jed Redkay, the former youth pastor at Mountville, when I was pastoring there, used this definition from his time with a uh, youth with a mission. Humility is being known for who you really are, nothing more and nothing less. This is who I am, this is how I'm wired. This is what I'm discovering about how I'm gifted. And I want to use those gifts for the purpose of the kingdom. But don't put me up there, Josh, and have me try to lead a song and play the guitar. It ain't happening. I can't sing like you, and I can't play guitar like you. But I could strive to do that, because I'm like, I want to be like Josh. Josh is so cool. And in that process, I'm not being who I really am. Does she think you're really cool too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But a, a recognition of that reality that... Being who we really are is a lifelong discovery. Because I'm in my 50s. I'm, in, I'm, I'm past my mid-50, whatever that is. That's 55, I guess, so I'm past that. And I'm still discovering so much about myself, about who I am, how I'm wired, what, what makes me tick, what things I'm good at and what things I thought I wanted to be good at, but I'm not, and allowing God to use that for His glory. The truth is there is only one who knows who I am, and that is the Lord. He's the only one who knows what he's put within me and how I'm wired and how you are wired. And there's that reality, this tension, being known for who you really are. Nothing more, which when that's exercised, is pride. And I'll tell you this, pride, when you see pride in somebody else and arrogance, it doesn't take much spiritual discernment to pick it out, okay? You're somewhere and you're like, man, that guy's all into himself. He is so proud. You pick it out right away. But the other side of that pride is being known for less than who you are, which I call false humility. False humility has plagued the church, and I'll just own it for Lancaster County, for Mennonites especially, this sense of false, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not. The reality is that is also falling short of what God has planted within you and what he's calling forth. Because sometimes those very places that I don't want to go or I'm afraid to go have limited the deposit that God has placed in individuals to be doing the things they're called to do. Entering into the fullness of how God has gifted us and called us. So this morning I invite you into this place of God's abundant grace where you're not striving... To be good people, and to do the right things, but instead allowing God's abundant grace to flow into your life, into my life, each day, transforming us, changing us, forming in us a, a meek spirit, fully harnessed by the Spirit of God, and walk in humility in such a way that we are trying that we are trying to be more that we are not trying to be more than God has called us to be. Which again, I said, is walking in pride. Nor are we under engaging. In what God has called us to be, walking in false humility or fear may also be a driver there. But full of the Spirit, expressing both meekness and humility, we, wa- we, are, we are walking with God's abundant grace every day. Abundant grace. That fullness. Eugene Peterson has served us in many ways. Uh simply because he took, and along with others, took days, hours, years to write a paraphrase. It's a modern-day way of looking at Scripture, but it helps us to look at things from a different perspective. It is not a translation, so I always say that up front. This is not a word-for-word translation from the original text, but it is taking concepts with current vernacular and those things, the best to do, as a way of hearing it afresh. I want us to hear again as we close here, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So I invite you to listen again with your ears and also with your heart. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions, and this is what he said. You're blessed When you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when when, when you care. At the moment of being careful, not careful, but careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And you're blessed when when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have gotten to this kind of trouble as well. I want to close this morning with a story. I want to share about a woman who lived with abundant grace. Some of you know my precious little mother. She died over a little year over over a a little over a year ago, at the age of eighty-six. She was a meek and a humble woman, but full of spunk and delight, and no one could say she was weak. Even though I'm not sure, even when she had carried children and was pregnant, she ever weighed over 115 pounds. She was a small. Those of you who know her, she was a small woman. But she expressed the abundant grace of God. That abundant grace of God that was poured into her life and flowed out to others. My children always said, one thing we know about Grandma, she loves people. And she loves to stop and listen to your story. I love this painting that Brenda did of my mom for her memorial service. Part of that was because mom had shriveled down to less than 50 pounds by the time she passed away. She was a fighter. She wasn't going to go easily, and she was going to stay with the people she loved as long as she could. But she was ready to go to be with Jesus. One day, and and in that context, it's her frail body, first her limbs, her legs, and then her arms, and eventually her speech. She, She could barely get see when i would come it was always like she called me keithy that was her term of endearment i i i I, she just wanted and we'd say yeah we know you love us mom because she wanted to communicate she loved us one day in interaction with my sister miriam she asked Miriam a question miriam's a spiritual director does spiritual formation and life coaching and my mother, Mary Lou, said to her in a stuttering and now stammering voice, this is probably two years ago, M- M- Millie, maybe you should coach me. As a good life coach, uh, Miriam asked a, question, asked a question. Why would you want me to coach you, Mommy? And she said, I want to keep on growing as a person and learn more things. And Miriam, attempting to affirm her, her, her um, said, Mommy, you've already done so many things and there's not a lot of places for you to grow. And somehow seeking to redirect the conversation, she said, she asked her, Mommy, what is one of your hobbies, something that you love to do? And with a twinkle in her eyes, my precious Mommy said, lo- lo- loving people. That was her hobby. And it was true. She loved deeply, but she loved them because the abundant grace of God had so permeated her very being that she couldn't... It wasn't possible for her not to like someone. You might say, I don't like that person. Oh, Oh, I think they're really nice. Yeah, right, Mom. with a twinkle in her eyes, said loving people. That was her hobby, what brought her joy and delight and what she gave her life to. That was the abundant grace of God flowing through her right up until the day she died and went to be with Jesus. Joshua worship team, I invite you to come and uh, play some music in the background. What I, what I would like to do, first of all, is I'd like to just pray over this body, inviting God to come with his abundant grace into the places and spaces where we squirm and wiggle around both receiving and extending grace to each other because we all do this isn't a message that I packaged for East Pete this is one I preached in every district church because I believe it is so critical and so I want to pray over you for this impartation for this flow for God to work and then I want to create a context where if you want to respond in some way to be free to do that